Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our topic in the second half of the program today is going to be Indiana's public school system. But our guest, Sue Ellen Reed, got caught behind a train on the way down here from Indianapolis, and she's running a little late. So Mary Catherine and I are going to open the phone lines and talk about whatever is on your mind for the first probably 15 or 20 minutes of the show before Sue Ellen gets here. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send email to noon at indiana.edu. A rare opportunity. That's right. We have kind of, That's an impromptu call. And I bet you're pretty glad to see me today, huh? I'm very glad. I would have been uh, doing a little filibuster. Uh, yeah, very happy you're here. Talk about your impromptu editorial. You really uh, yeah. could have gotten in trouble here. That's right. Well, we were, we were talking uh, when we learned we were going to have a few minutes about uh, what we might talk about today. And, you know, since it's summertime, I mean, it is a time when there are a lot of things going on. For instance, the county fair starts tomorrow, tomorrow with Saturday. the Queen contest. Mm-hmm. And then the Kiss a Pig contest on Sunday night. I'm one of the participants. Now, so I might understand it's the rear end of the pig that I one think will be so. kissing. I think so, but it'll be a cute little pig. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, people have to, you know, they, I'm not counting on winning that thing. Better so. you than me, Bob. <laughs> You're a good so, sport. <laughs> but that's just a kickoff to the county fair. That's a benefit for the, the Boys and Girls Club. So, you know, I'm happy to participate. And you can vote for who kisses the pig. Yes, you can. Right? Yes, you mm-hmm. can. People could vote for me or they could be really good to me and vote for somebody else. <laughs> that would be great. But then the fair the fair will take off. It's always a good time. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of other summer activities. Now, you went to the picnic. Went to the picnic with the Pops. Yeah. That was, uh, first of all... I, Beautiful weather. Couldn't have asked for a more beautiful evening. And uh, I just, my hat's off to the organizers of that. I know Mike Walsh has worked on it for many years, and and there's a large committee of folks that that work on that every year. And boy, they just do a fantastic job. And I just was so neat to be a part of that and uh, be out in the beautiful evening listening to great music with so many of my fellow community members. It was just a really one of those events that you'll when you're freezing your buns off in February you'll look back and fondly on. Timing was right for all of these 4th of July events yeah, because that one was the Saturday before and then of course the parade was scheduled for early in the morning mm-hmm. instead of mid-afternoon and the fireworks because of daylight savings time were the night before the 4th because mm-hmm. they didn't start till 1015. Right, right. But the fact is it rained on the 4th, so... You know, that, that scheduling the parade earlier turned out to be an absolute mm-hmm. stroke of genius because it rained the rest of the day. I mean, they the parade happened at just about the only time of day that, that was really pleasant. And, um, boy, that was that was fun, too. Yeah. Yeah, really yeah, neat. Absolutely. And this, this summer there are a couple of other unique things. Um, one is... On July 1st, Michael McRobbie took over as president of Indiana University. And, of course, we've had uh, Michael on the show a couple of times mm-hmm. before he was president, and I'm sure he'll be back. But it's been interesting to see how he's filled positions and filled quickly. them very quickly. Yes. And, and you can sort of follow along with what he thinks are the important things for the university. He just filled the the uh, diversity position mm-hmm. with Edwin Marshall uh, yesterday, I, I believe. I mean, we had it in the paper yesterday, so mm-hmm. we followed it the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's an area that he believes is very important. Of course, Adam Herbert did too, so that's mm-hmm. that's big. Having Bill Steffen come back to IU, I think, is going to be a great thing. Mm-hmm. Bill's a wonderful guy, and I think uh, very well respected and very well regarded. And this, what's his title? Vice President of Engagement, I believe, which basically means... Uh, he's going to be involved with economic development opportunities throughout the state and with his background at, at Clarion um, where he's been the last three or four years and then with IU, he'll be able to, to really hit the, the life sciences area of the state, it seems mm-hmm. to me. Very and well. I've noticed that these candidates are – well, not candidates anymore, these choices um, – often seem to have some kind of um, – um, experience in other countries, which I think is an interesting reflection of Michael McRobbie's worldview. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really interested to see how this all plays out over the next several years. And I, I think that uh, the world, while it's shrinking, I think our world here at IU is actually going to open up. Should yeah. be should be interesting. Should be very interesting. Okay, we have a phone call. Let's go to Jim okay. on the phone. Jim. Hey, uh, 
wanted to compliment you on your ad libbing. Hey, thanks. It is beautiful. <laughs> I was oh, that's it. That's okay. that old Jim. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. We appreciate that. Yes. Uh, beautiful. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's awfully kind. Right. And then Neil Theobald, who's going to be the new CFO, has been a guest on our program mm-hmm. before, and he was very good too. So we've got, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that, that Michael McRobbie has named. And then the other e- event that's coming up, it's summertime, so that means budgets. Mm-hmm. And we don't, you know, you're on the parks board, so we don't need to talk too much about the city budget, other than to say that the city budget hearings begin on Monday. Right. And <clears throat> I'm sure the county budget hearings will be after that, but the city budget hearings uh, begin on Monday. And and I'm, I'm actually going to write an editorial about this for the weekend. It's you know just one of those sort of basic general editorials mm-hmm. about the fact that this is our money. Mm-hmm. So when these budget hearings come up and the, the city or any any government agency is is uh, working on budgets, it might seem really boring unless you think about how you know they're making decisions about how to spend the money that we're that they're collecting from us in taxes. So. You know, people. I think people should pay attention to what happens in these budget meetings at all levels, and obviously, when the legislature is in session, how the state legislature is spending our money. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's a city election year, so if people don't like the way our money is being spent, then very quickly they can go to the polls in November, just a couple of months after the budget, and let people know. Yeah, make their comments at the polls. Yeah, that's right. And speaking of the city election. Yes. Well, I just am intrigued by the fact that in the city of Bloomington, I know we have a lot wider and broader audience, but in the city of Bloomington, it really seems to become more and more of a one-party town. I mean, there It it is disappointing that they couldn't fill more of the slots. The Republican Party couldn't fill more of the slots. It'll be interesting. I think the mayor's race will be interesting. Uh, Mayor Cruzan and uh, city council member – City Council Member David Sabah mm-hmm. are running against each other, so that will be interesting to uh, to see. Um, but then on the council side, there just aren't very many Republican candidates. So yeah, and that's unfortunate. I think democracy always suffers, and I think that you have a better discussion, um, and that's you know one of the greatest values of the whole process is right. just the discussion that takes place prior to any election. Right. Okay. So. Well, we we're going to take a break early today in the program, and when we come back, we're going to have Sue Ellen Reed with us. So you're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home office and garage, using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. And from South Dunn Street Project, represented by Brian Lappin Real Estate, classic bungalow-inspired architecture in the Bryan Park neighborhood of Bloomington, www.southdunnstreet.info Theaters in our area are busy. At the Brown County Playhouse, it's the comedy Lend Me a Tenor. At the Shawnee Theater, the cowboy melodrama Blazing Guns at Roaring Gulch. At the Crossroads Repertory Theater, the premiere of Arthur Feinsod's Table 17. And Saturday morning, at 11 o'clock at the Monroe County Public Library, a foretaste of Susical Jr. with the Bloomington Playwrights Project's Youth Theater Ensemble. More about all these on our website, wfiu.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And uh, today we've, uh, you know, we're nothing if not versatile here on <laughs> the radio. We're flexible. We're flexible, and uh, we have Sue Ellen Reed with us now. Uh, Sue Ellen Reed is the Superintendent of Public Instruction for the State of Indiana, and we're happy to have you. We're sorry about that train. Uh, yes, and I'm glad you didn't introduce me as the late Sue Ellen Reed. <laughs> it was the long, 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 long train. 
Well, we're, we're happy to have you here now. It gave us an opportunity just to catch up on a few things. Yep. And so let's talk about, uh, talk about what's going on in Indiana and in public education. I think the best place to start really is you know, the state legislature always has an impact on what happens mm-hmm. with the public schools. So how would you grade the most recent session? And I know some new laws took effect on July 1st. So, Yeah, we have had some new laws. And I guess the thing that uh, we should feel really good about so far as this session is concerned is that we did get a lot more money for full-day kindergarten. And that, of course, has been a topic of conversation all over the state for, oh, at least 10 years, Mm. probably longer than that. I think one uh, lady who is a retired kindergarten teacher said she'd been working on the issue for 19 years. So uh, to get that much more money this year is great. Of course, it's not enough to pay for a full-day kindergarten for everybody. And so local districts are having to look at their budgets really hard. Uh, Some of them are able to offer it um, to the people that live in the district by making some other sacrifices. And we just hope that the legislature understands that there are sacrifices for the locals to be able to do that, and they cannot sustain that. So during the next session, we're hoping that uh, this upcoming session will be a language or yeah, a language session. The mm-hmm. next one then will be another budget session, and so we're hoping that maybe they'll be able to help us. And we do have a little money next year that will help a little bit. So would you talk about a little bit about the, the benefits of full-day kindergarten? I mean, they would seem obvious, although some people don't necessarily agree that it's a, it's a great thing. Why do you think it's, it's really beneficial to students? Well, for the first thing, um, our half-day kindergarten is two and a half hours. And in the wintertime in Indiana, by the time you remove the snowsuits, the gloves, the um, stocking caps, the boots, all of those things, and get them set up so that when the child gets ready to leave, you can reassemble all of that on the right child, uh, takes a lot of time. And two and a half hours is such a short piece of time to be able to work in any kind of special activity with music or art or physical education is, is really very difficult to do. It's also very important that teachers get to know the students and can spot learning problems mm-hmm. early on. And if we can do that, then that saves a lot of heartbreak for students later on down the road because we know the earlier we spot a problem and can start an intervention, the more likely we are to be able to eliminate the problem or at least make it manageable. And so we think this extra time will allow that. Also, the kids that are superstars, the ones that are driving their parents crazy because (laughs) they just know everything and they want to know more and more and more, um, it, it also gives us time to have activities for them that are appropriate to um, their learning levels as well, because we need to get them turned on about school from the very beginning. And the worst thing that could happen would be to have a student be kind of bored or Mm -hmm. or whatever. So uh, the individual time will be a great benefit. It'll also help us to spot any problems. And also, it will allow us to go into more depth on a lot of things that are covered in kindergarten. Teachers will get to know the students and their parents better, and that will help better for community relations. And so we're really excited about the potential. We're going to be keeping a close track on uh, how our reading scores are going to be doing and the literacy that uh, the levels that our children are able to achieve. We need to keep in mind that it's not just more of the same. It's not just more of first grade. It's a special learning opportunity that's developmentally appropriate for kindergarten students. When my son was in, in kindergarten, he would come home and take a nap because he was tired. And so I worry about uh, kids this age still kind of being in that nap zone because they're, I mean, they're five years old. They're little kids. Well, all kids are different. And that's why it's really important that parents take a look at their child. And, uh, you know, can they sit still? Uh, are they ready to learn? And uh, they make the decision about whether the child should stay all day or whether the child 
should come to kindergarten or wait till the next year. And so it, uh, kids are all different, and some mature much more quickly than others. Uh, girls usually mature faster than the boys, but that's not always the case. And uh, I, I have to tell you a story. There was a high school. Um, I, I visit schools all the time. So I was in this high school, and we were talking about how we could make high school better for students, um, things we could do, uh, talking to teachers, setting up uh, credits, all of those kinds of things. And this kid said, well, I'll tell you what's wrong. He said, they try to make little kids take naps. They don't want to take naps. It's the big kids that need the naps. <laughs> That's right. We're the ones that ought to have a time to rest. That's and right. uh, So uh, as I said, Different kids are at different developmental stages, and so parents know their kids best. They should talk with teachers and read the things we have available mm-hmm. up on the web, and then make a good choice for your child about what is most appropriate. May I ask, do, is the choice only between um, full day and staying back a year, waiting maybe for no, some more maturity? full day, half day, or... Um, uh, staying back. And sometimes parents will say, you know, preschool, we probably need another year uh, just because the maturity level mm-hmm. isn't there. Uh, some of our other kids at the beginning of the year, they may be tired, but as the year goes on, you know, then they're able to go ahead. And um, so the teachers have to be very flexible mm-hmm. when, and we have to say, we have to make sure that school is ready for the kids mm-hmm. uh, as well as kids being ready for school. I actually like the high schooler's suggestion. I think yeah. that makes it. Sometimes adults need. I was just going to say. I oh, yeah. think uh, middle-aged kids could benefit from a little <laughs> mid-afternoon nap too. Our guest today is Sue Ellen Reed, the superintendent of public instruction for the state of Indiana. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Here's a thoughtful question that came in um, via email. It says, Dr. Reed, how do you view the legacy of school consolidation in Indiana? Will Hoosiers ever again be able to send their children to truly neighborhood high schools and middle schools in walkable communities? Well, that's a great question because it's something that people are asking about every day, particularly with budgets being very tight. And we're saying, are we the most efficient and effective we can be with every taxpayer dollar we have? Well, Indiana has some places where a school bus may travel 10 miles between picking up children. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, uh, even though it would be a very small high school. It doesn't make sense to try to consolidate if kids are going to have to ride a bus for two hours uh, to get to and from school. just is not practical. Are there some services that we can consolidate so far as the district is concerned? There may be. We've already taken a real hard look through our service centers at uh, group purchase of um, all kinds of things from paper to buses to food to whatever. And so we're looking at those kinds of efficiencies. Uh, Can we share personnel like a a business manager? Sometimes our small districts can afford a a business manager and so the superintendent ends up trying Mm. to juggle everything. Well, maybe if everybody put in a little from several small districts and we consolidated the service, we could have a business manager who would serve several districts, and we could hire one that would be really, really competent as well. So we need to look at those things. Not necessarily is it appropriate for everybody. I know that some of our suburban high schools have been wrestling with, do we build another high school or do we just expand the one we have? Mm -hmm. And some of them are really, really huge. in those, sometimes they have a school within a school. Mm-hmm. So there are several academies that are part of the larger school. The most important thing is, does every single student that comes to that school feel that he or she's an important member of the school community? And we have to constantly reevaluate that because sometimes what may seem on the surface to be very efficient may not be the most effective. And so that's why we have to look at those things. The other thing is that um, as our neighborhoods change and as people move in and out of the inner city, now we're having to move back. Um, First, it was just adults. Now we seem to be having families moving back in, and we have other families that are moving out to the suburban areas. Keeping track of all of that or trying to manage that 
when you're not in charge is kind of hard because people can live wherever they want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, neighborhood schools are wonderful. Uh, I went to a small country school. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world. I think when mom and dad can walk to the school to meet with the teacher, you know, that's got to be better. But then if you look at it like, well, if my child goes to a bigger school, he wants to take German and they only offer it, you know, where they can have enough classes that they can employ a German teacher all day. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at the pluses and minuses and try to make the very best decision you can. Now, who knows what's going to happen next? Um, If a a certain kind of development comes into an area and people all want to move there, then you're going to have an expansion of your numbers, and then you're going to have to make decisions. Uh, If a business moves out of a community, that can really change how Mm -hmm. a neighborhood looks. So I think our school people just try to do the best they can with, with whatever hand they're dealt and that you really have to work closely with your community and you have to do what the people uh, choose for you to do. Do you think that um, new technology is going to make it any easier to, to maybe shrink our schools a little bit as far as the example that you mentioned with the German teacher? If that's available through distance learning at any high school, wouldn't it be possible or more possible then to, to maybe get back to a smaller size school? Absolutely. And that's one of the things very encouraging to me about, you know, as we become more high tech, we also have to become high touch for our students. Uh, parents uh, today, now not all parents, but we find that overall the average amount of time that parents spend with their kids is a lot less than it has been in the past. So how can we make sure that we capture uh, as much of that high touch as we can at school while still giving kids all of the benefits that we can possibly give them? So I remember, um, I think it was... Bloomington North and Ellettsville were sharing a Japanese teacher. And through the Smithville Telephone Company and AT&T and I don't know who all, we were able to achieve a, a hookup with Kobe, Japan. And we had a class there, and it was like 9 o'clock at night because there's like 13 hours difference or whatever. And uh, so we assembled a class of Japanese students to speak with, sing songs together, ask each other questions. We had a camera that we could manipulate so we could zero in on the kids and also on the teacher. And that was so great, the experience for kids on both sides of it. And they could continue with emails for pen pals and lots of other things, which, you know, when we were in school, that was not a possibility. Mm -hmm. So the technology can draw us more closely together. And since we're talking about language, um, that is something that we really need to work on in this country. We've known it for a long time. You know, the old joke about what do you call a person who knows three languages? Trilingual. What do you call somebody that knows two languages? Bilingual. What do you call somebody who only knows one language? American. Mm -hmm. So um, we really need to work at that, particularly if we want to be um, competitive on the world market because it's it's just increasingly important that we speak the language and know about the culture of other people as the world continues to shrink, not only for the economic benefits, but also we travel so much. And also because of technology, we can be in touch with people that otherwise we wouldn't have known. So in the interest of, of uh, you know, we all live on the same planet, uh, it's just important we start earlier. We start most of our languages in high school. Mm-hmm. Some uh, school districts begin in middle school. We need to begin in kindergarten or preschool mm-hmm. if we really want to have facility with the language. So we have to work on that. Mm-hmm. And technology may help us get that accomplished. Uh, we've had a couple of programs on uh, that have touched on uh, an exchange program that I was involved with with Ukraine. And you were mentioning that. It just reminded me. When Stratvitia. Oh, I don't know. Nicely oh. done. Very, very nice. Yes. <laughs> but I, I when I was uh, in Kiev or in actually Feodosia, this, this town in, in uh, Ukraine, I went into a, to an English language classroom with a bunch of four-year-olds. I mean, they were they yes. were already learning English, and that's in a rural area, somewhat rural area of Ukraine. It, it, so what you say is absolutely you right. You find that all over Europe. 
um, I asked one of my friends uh, when he had started learning English. He was Spanish. Uh, and he said, oh, uh, three. And I said, you mean third grade? He said, no, three years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I recently visited some uh, l'école maternelle in um, France, several mm-hmm. in Strasbourg and also in Paris. And um, those little guys are three years old and they're speaking English and learning all kinds of things. So um, I know for us to have so much difficulty just getting full-day kindergarten, and then we mm-hmm. see all of this. But I think in kindergarten, they could start learning another mm-hmm. language. And of course, in the Ukraine, when it used to be a part of the old Soviet Union, mm-hmm. they would come to school and um, um, immediately would need to start learning Russian right. as well as English. Mm-hmm. And so those little guys were managing their own native uh, languages from whatever region of Russia that they came from, plus at least two other languages. They were trilingual. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, isn't, hasn't there been research done that shows that's when the brain is, is most oh, yes. able to assimilate another language? Yes. When children are born, they can hear all sounds. And then they zero in, the brain zeroes in on the sounds of the language that you hear. If you have, um, you know, another language that is spoken while they're very young, then the facility with that language develops in the same part of the brain. Mm. And we know that from our brain research. If we wait till they're in high school, it develops in another part of the brain. So there's constantly this delay as, you know, the, the words go back and forth and, uh, and are translated. Yeah. When you start out young, you can think in another language, which would be very, very helpful in international negotiations uh, for peace talks as well as for selling products. So, uh, and also for just international understanding. It, it would just, it, our money would go further. It would just make so much more sense. Eight five five zero eight one one. Or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Our guest today is Sue Ellen Reed, the superintendent of public instruction for the state of Indiana. If you have uh, questions or comments about Indiana's public school system or anything about education, I'm sure that Dr. Reed would be happy and pleased to answer your questions. I have a question about neither of those. All right. (laughs) No, I'm just interested. You're one of the most powerful women in the state. And I'm interested to know how you got to be uh, where you are today. Oh, my goodness. That's a good question. Well, I started out as a teacher, and I've taught elementary, middle, and high school. I've been an assistant principal and a principal, an assistant superintendent, and a local superintendent. And one of my friends called me when I was um, uh, superintendent. And we were practice. I'll never forget because we were practicing for graduation. Now, to me, that is it. That is the biggest deal in the whole world. When we hand kids a diploma and we say, we've given you the best that we have, you're going out into the world, you know, go get them, you know. And so it's kind of an emotional time for Mm -hmm. me anyway. So anyway, this, the lady called me, she was a friend of mine from Department of Education because I'd worked on lots of projects with the department. And she said, we need for you to run for superintendent of public instruction. And uh, I said, okay, now what do you really want? And she said, no, I'm serious. We really need you to do this. And so I always had paid attention to the issues. And one of the things I did with my classes, no matter what I was teaching, I always encouraged them to do a current event part of the day. And invariably, they would bring in these articles about some political figure who'd absconded with money Mm -hmm. or who had uh, just done all kinds of horrible things. And the kids would come in and say, you know, all these politicians are just terrible. You know, they're no good. And I would always say, now, wait a minute. You know, if everybody would take a turn and would serve then we would always have good people in public office. And you know it's just like at school when you're electing people or you need somebody to be chairman of a a project or something. If the good people that can do it, the ones who have, you know, good moral values, are competent, are responsible, if they don't step up and do what needs to be done, then they just get somebody. And the somebody they just get may not be the best. So everybody ought to take very seriously the fact that we are citizens of this country and uh, from those to to whom much is given, much is expected. 
And so be ready, kids. You know, you may have to serve on the school board or county council or be governor or whatever. So um, Evelyn reminded me. (laughs) And I said, but I didn't mean me. And she said, well, that's what you tell the kids. So therefore, you need to do this. So because I always paid attention and and tried to be up on the issues and discuss those and always voted, Mm -hmm. but never was active politically, like helping, you know, Mm -hmm. get a a candidate. So it was a totally new experience for me. I went to our party chairman, who was Jean Ann Harcourt, and she said she was new and she said, well, let's go for it. Let's do it. And we did. And to a lot of people's amazement, not to ours because we always thought we would win, we were elected. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just been such a wonderful learning experience. And I've learned so much more by visiting all over the state, mm-hmm. talking to kids and teachers and administrators and parents. So I've really learned more by being able to go out and talk to lots of folks than if I'd stayed in my own uh, district. Mm-hmm. I would have known it very, very, very well, but I wouldn't have known lots of things that are going on in other districts in Indiana, across the country, and also throughout the world. So for me, this has been a fantastic growth uh, experience. So do you yeah. see that sharing the information that you gather from different places, do you see sharing that as one of your primary missions? Oh, and I love it. And to tell a teacher um, like um, uh, uh, Jeff Redkin here is just, I mean, he is fantastic. The things- he teaches a bachelor middle school. He, yeah, Laura Bachelor. That's right. Ms. Uh, Peggy Chambers is the principal over there. Great kinds of things going on there. I can put him in touch with. Uh, well, remember the work he did with the Holocaust when mm-hmm. the kids Absolutely. went as reporters yes. to Auschwitz. Yeah. Uh, I mean, fantastic. So the people that that call me and say, "Well, what what do we have about the Holocaust? And, uh, Holocaust, and how do we know that our kids are learning about that today?" And I can put him in touch with people. He can share his documentary. Um, I have a, another, um, Todd uh, uh, Robert, or not Todd Roberts, what's his name? Uh, anyway, his name's Roberts. He's, I think it is Todd, in uh, Fort Wayne, who also does that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Put those together, and I mean, it's like electricity when you get mm-hmm. really excited. And then Evansville was doing a project on local, theirs is called Feel History. And high school people go out and interview, and they were doing a project about Evansville during World War II. Mm-hmm. And they manufactured a lot of things, uh, war supplies and and um, so they were talking to people who had lived there then, and they hunted up pictures of Evansville at that time. And they went in, they did DVD, and they are using some of that material on PBS for like 12-minute segments. And they, I mean, to put all those people together to share ideas, you know, it's just... It's, it's just the greatest thing that could happen, I think. Yeah. And also problems, how they solved a problem mm-hmm. here in this school district and who might be able to help somewhere else or starting programs too really good. I'm glad you mentioned Jeff Rudkin's class because they, they do an amazing amount of stuff oh. with video. And those video, they brought back a lot of video work from their trip to Holocaust uh, or to Auschwitz and – it's actually the first videos that we ran on HeraldTimesOnline.com cool. were from their eighth grade kids. and so that was Kids great. can do amazing they things. Can. And when they have teachers that are inspired, it just makes all the difference in the world. When I was looking at your website this morning, I, I noticed the part about how you visit all 92 counties during you know, each term that you've been in office. So this is when, – when you talk about getting around the state, you have a, you have a strategy for yes. doing that. So. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And actually, I've been to most places four times. But there are other places that, you know, I'll go back to 10, 20 times. I'm sure that I've I've been. Yesterday, we were up in Huntington. Mm-hmm. And I went over to the high school to see, you know, what's going on in summer school. They're doing great things there. They have this credit recovery program for kids that maybe missed out on some credits for one reason or another. And they have a teacher there working with them as well as computer programs. And for some kids, you know, they couldn't for four years spend all their time with a computer. But for one class to make up that 
class, and they can move at their own pace. Makes all the difference in the world. And then there's this wonderful Algebra One teacher who was teaching kids who had already been unsuccessful in Algebra One. He had them divided up into groups. They were working on problems. He had a team leader at each table. They were really learning how to apply some of the principles of algebra. And they were really, you know, I asked one of the kids, I said, is this better than when you took it last time? Oh, my gosh, yes. It's <laughs> so um, we have people all over the state doing incredible things. And uh, like the the uh, Nova Net that they were using for this, I'm going to share that with other people that, you know, this is a good way. And I know they're doing the same thing in, at Shelbyville High School, even during the school year. And they were talking about offering some of these opportunities for credit recovery during the school mm-hmm. year so that kids uh, can, you know, catch up if, you know, sometimes all of us either, you know, don't do things on time or just kind of, you know, don't really put all of our energy or into Or we have it. a bad semester. I mean, you know, there are a lot. Or, you know, your dog gets run over or your boyfriend, you know, all that falls apart or whatever. So for whatever reason they mess up, we always have to have chances for them to get back in. And, mm-hmm. and these are the kinds of things that really help. So anyway, yes, we do try to visit. And we've been everywhere. Um, the, let's say I think we've done 36 counties on the fourth time for everybody. But there are other places. I know I've been like 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's another email that came in. Um, it says, have you considered changing the hours that the high school and junior high kids are starting school with the time that the elementary kids are starting? It's much more difficult to get a junior high student or high school student to get to bed at 8 p.m. than it is to get an elementary child to bed at that time. The issue of sleep deprivation is a very serious one, considering the importance of the educational experience at that older age <laughs> and the age that children are beginning to drive. Other states have solved the problem this way, and I think that it would pay off for test scores as well. It's very difficult to get ready to be on the bus by 7 in the morning if your child has been playing basketball late into the night or, and finishing homework. So that and, and then there's a second part, but I'll let you respond to that. So. Well, first of all, it's not the state's decision about when school starts. Each school district makes up its own uh, schedule. That's why sometimes the distance learning is a little hard to do when teachers cooperate, um, you know, and are like one day in one school or three days in one school, two days, and then the next week they, they flip that because the hours don't always match. Each school district sets the hours. The only thing the state asks is that you have to put in 180 days mm-hmm. at a minimum. Now, you can put in more. And some of the days, the hours in the days vary by school district oh, as well. Oh, absolutely. And some of our district, well, what, there used to be an old joke about how the bus drivers ran the district because whatever the buses <laughs> ran on, that's when they started and that's when they finished. Typically, school districts run by um, what the, the people in that community uh, believe is important. If you have lots of parents in your community that go to work at 6 o'clock in the morning, they'll want their kids to have earlier hours so that they can uh, be home with them as much as possible. So the school district sets that. Now, we say 180 days in order to be reimbursed by the Indiana General Assembly for the days that the kids are in school, and we require five hours and uh, for, um, you know, the K through six and uh, uh, six hours for um, middle school and high school as a minimum. But they can go many hours over that, whatever it is that the community wants. Uh, we also, in the 180 days, we don't say which 180 days. Mm-hmm. There are some people that feel we have to have two weeks at Christmas and we have to have a week for our spring break and we have to have this and that. So that's their decision. And sometime with co-ops, when you, you co uh, co-op for special education services or for career technical services, uh, school corporations will come together and agree on a compromise calendar. There are lots of our school districts that have the 180 days spread over the whole year. Mm-hmm. So they have a longer break in the summer, but they have like three-week breaks between nine-week sessions or six-week sessions. So um, how they divide that time up, just as long as they get in, five hours for elementary kids, six hours for high school kids, and 180 days, they are local community, local school board, uh, sometimes keeping in mind the cooperatives that they work with. 
that's their choice, not ours. Mm-hmm. So okay. would you call the, the schools you were describing year-round schools? Do we have some year-round we schools? We call them year-round or sometimes they call it balanced uh, schedule. Mm-hmm. And it's – well, I think it's one of the neatest things that we could do. Um, again, it goes – it's a change. It goes against what we have always done. Right. And so people have to think a long time before, you know, they're willing to do that. But we have some year-round schools available in – in um, Fort Wayne, we have some in Columbus, uh, we have some in Warren Township, we have one in uh, Lebanon. So um, a lot, there's a lot of discussion about would this make the best use of our school facilities, and the hours uh, vary too. Um, some people. Uh, feel that they don't want their uh, little elementary kids to be out in the dark waiting for a bus. So they'll have the elementary school start later than the high school. So in any situation, you have to look at the whole community and make that decision. But the balanced schedule or year-round is very intriguing because if a kid gets behind... Then you have that three week period where you can do a some little intensive, yeah, yeah, because some kids just learn at a slower pace than others, and they have to read something more times than somebody else, so they have to hear it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So that will let them catch up. Also, the kids that are advanced can do things during that period that are extensions of what's going on. Teachers can take workshops during those periods, and if mom and dad have a vacation, it's not always in the summer. And the kids can never go, but with this year-round or balanced schedule, they can work that out, too. So I think it's intriguing, and a lot of our school districts at least are talking about it as they're making decisions. Uh, In some that are overcrowded, think about having like a trimester. Mm -hmm. Kids go two of the three semesters, and it it, um, makes it easier because they don't have to build a building right away or they can get through a a tough time where they have a a bubble class that has a ton more kids than what they There's a follow uh, another part to this email that I want to get to. It says, uh, "Also, I saw you recently on PBS discussing the program at Columbus East. Have we considered this type of project-based family-type atmosphere in the recent meetings about improving Bloomington High Schools?" Well, I haven't been to the. I've been to some of those meetings, and they are just great. You better describe what's going on. Well, it's a community effort to really take a look at schooling. And uh, lifelong learning and trying to make some good decisions about what we should be doing in the future. And so I've just been in on a few of those. But the one where we talked about Columbus, we were doing uh, kind of for this area to take a look at different things that are going on. And they they have some projects that are really exciting. Well, you have some projects that are really we exciting, do. too. And so you need to take a look at what's going on always. And, uh, you know, you have to figure out, well, will this work in our community? Uh, one of the things they do, they have um, some t- – the – The social studies teacher in the high school and one of the English teachers are working on a humanities block. And the kids, um, I think the thing we talked about was um, saving Rome and how they might be able to do that. And they had groups of students trying to figure out what what on earth, you know, if they'd had better political people. If people had stepped up and served, you know, when they needed, uh, maybe, you know, things would have been better. Or when things first started going downhill, somebody needed to speak up and say, hey, things are going downhill. We need to improve our education system. We need to do these things. So I think we can learn a lot from one another. But it's also important that we look at our community and we see the strength there and we see the opportunities there. Because a lot of times kids don't realize how much opportunity is really in their own backyard because they think, oh, everything else goes on, you know, somewhere else. But we have some terrific things going on here. And because the community is so involved, you know, we've just got to come out with a better product. And the future is different. Kids are different. And the way they learn is different. And project-based learning was something I did in my classes. I mean, I'm getting to be pretty old, and I used to do that. (laughs) And I think that there are pieces of that going on Mm -hmm. all kinds of places. The thing of it is it involves a lot of work. And so when teachers can network and work together, Mm -hmm. and not everybody has to do 
all the pieces to put those together. And it's a lot more work to put together a project that a kid takes more responsibility mm-hmm. for than it is if the teacher is up in front lecturing all, all the right, time. So, right. we, we had a program here with Jeff Henderson from Bloomington North and Mark Fletcher from Bloomington South, the two uh, principals, and uh, Jim Harvey was here with mm-hmm. us too, to talk about uh, the new technology high school they're going to be, they're going yes. to be putting in here. But you know, a lot of what you've talked about today has to do with how different kids learn in different ways. And I think the, going back to the the early email about consolidation, it seems as if maybe the state of Indiana, when we made much larger high schools, um, we created a system that didn't really recognize so much that a lot of kids learn in different ways. And now we're going back to that. Uh, I have sat through several meetings in in this community about uh, what they're doing in Columbus and about new technology high schools and early college high schools and a lot of these different things. Um, Are you seeing a lot of movement toward those kinds of, you know, breaking down these bigger schools throughout the state? And can you cite maybe one or two examples well, I know in uh, at uh, Lafayette Jeff High School, they've had five academies there for a while. And um, again, it was trying to zero in on the interests that the kids had. And I think that, you know, I said our kids are different today. Mm-hmm. They spend a lot of time online. They text message. They use lots of technology. Mm-hmm. Well, then they come into a class and we were just talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> and, uh, uh, if you get into one of those classes and you're used to instantly doing, you know, mm-hmm. six things at once. Or I remember uh, my parents used to say, you know, if I ever tried to do my homework in front of the TV, they were going, ah, you get it, you know, can't mm-hmm. concentrate. Yeah. Well, now kids are online. They're doing things. They're text messaging. They're reading something and listening to music and doing all these things at the same time. Now, can they really focus? And is that the most opportune Uh, You know, is that the very best way for them to learn? It depends on the kid. For some, you know, that would drive them crazy because they need one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. So I think what we're doing, we've been looking at at our research for a long time. The number one reason that kids give for dropping out of school, guess what it is? Relationships. It's all about relationships. We're bored. Yeah. Oh. We're bored. I would say that they didn't feel connected to the. Yeah, that's school. you're exactly yeah. right. They didn't feel connected to what was going on. They didn't have a relationship either with the teacher that's talking at them or whatever's going on. Just in, it it isn't reaching them. These are not necessarily bad students or not bright students. They may be some of our brightest that we're losing because mm-hmm. they say we are bored. Well, we looked at the research and it was. Uh, phenomenally the largest reason for dropping out. And like in the 1970s, there were like 8,000 said, you know, that was the reason. So then uh, people began to say, well, we need to have more, you know, choices about what activities they do, what books they're going to read, those things. We cut it in half. But it's still the largest reason that kids give for dropping out of school. Now, some kids drop out and never give a reason. We just don't know what happened to them. They just don't show up one day. And uh, we contact them and try to find out, and they may have moved to, you know, who knows where. So those things do happen. But if we want kids to be engaged and be more responsible for their own learning, then we have to offer them opportunities for that. And there are kids that, um, you know, they love the the lecture. They listen to the Mm -hmm. lecture. They take the notes. They read the stuff, and they got it. That works for them, yeah. Yeah, but— in the real world and in the 21st century, they have to know how to solve problems. They have to know to, how to work together in groups. Uh, they have to know uh, a process for figuring out, you know, what kind of decision they're going to make. And they have to do that at work. They have to be able to work um, to solve a problem at work. It may be a broad spectrum of people brought together. So they have to know how to interact. Those kinds of 21st century skills we have to we have to share with our kids. The basic skills are almost a given today. Everybody has to know those. There, there's no uh, wiggle room in there. And and we know that almost everybody can learn those things. But the other skills on top of that, and that's from the problem-based learning and project-based. And I like to say, you know, it's like 4-H. You know, you know what the project is that you're getting into. You do it in your own unique way. Mm-hmm. You know how the final product's going to be judged. So you have all the elements in there, and then you have a checkup time every so often. You know, the leader signs your book, you know, and you have to be so far along. And I think that is what 
what we're doing. It's been really successful in 4-H, so, uh, and we're seeing successes all over the country, um, not just with the kids who, who don't don't do well in school. The ones who do well in school as we know it today can also blossom in this kind of um, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. All right. We, looks like we just got an email. We did. I have a quick question. Um, one of the things that I'm interested in, I have a, a child who's going into the fifth grade, is they have not taught keyboarding yet. And it seems, but they started using computers in kindergarten. So I wonder if there's any movement afoot to mandate um, keyboarding as a skill because it seems like it would speed up so much so much else. And, and I think it is one of those basic skills that you just dis- described. It, it absolutely is. And kids can get into some really horrible habits right. uh, if they don't have it. We used to teach keys keyboarding in fourth grade. Every school district does it a little differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if kids can demonstrate the skills, then they don't have to take the course of study. Um, now, under No Child Left Behind, we're supposed to have those technology skills by eighth grade. Oh, I see. So anywhere along the line, you know, they mm-hmm. they should be picking that up. So keyboarding should be coming in in the schools that have labs, mm-hmm. and they do that as a matter of course. I remember uh, visiting Jackson Dell, one of the first places I went after being state superintendent, and um, they were they had the high school typing teacher down teaching uh, little kids, fourth graders, how to you know where to put their fingers mm-hmm. and all of that, their little fingers. And some kids are starting, you know, like four or five years old to use computers. So getting the fingers on the right keys and helping them do that sometimes is something mom does. Mm -hmm. So I think rather than saying, you know, we're going to have a course, excuse me, at this time, what we should do is say, as we integrate technology into the curriculum, the school district ought to say, okay, we need to do it here. We absolutely know it has to be by eighth grade, but it can be first grade, it can be fourth grade, you know, whatever works. And we should also do it soon enough that kids don't get into really horrible habits right. before. Right. Right. Here, can I do this email? Yeah, absolutely. We have about okay, two minutes sure. to go. Okay, much as we might wish otherwise, education in Indiana takes place in a political context. Uh, in my observation, relations between the Department of Education were much better under Governors O'Bannon and Kernan than under the current administration. What problems do Governor Daniels' apparent desire to take control of state education create for you and the Department of Education? What would you be able to accomplish better for the children of Indiana if you had his cooperation instead of competition? That's part question, part editorial, but I think yeah, you... I think it is. You've got about one minute. One yeah. minute to answer. Uh, one that. minute to yes. answer that. Well, let me say first of all that Governor Daniels' main thrust of his administration was get the economy going, mm-hmm. and what I've said to that is if we get this economy going then our job in education is going to be much easier. There are going to be more resources, the attitude of the people, the conversations about education. Now, on Monday, we're having an education roundtable meeting, and we're going to be talking about teachers and teacher quality and how important that is. And I will tell you, I don't know anybody that would disagree, and I know the governor agrees with the, with me on this one, that we have to have the best and the brightest teachers. Uh, there, to do otherwise is do a disservice to our kids. And so anything we can do to help our teachers to be the very best that they can be, whether it's through pre-service, whether it's in-service, professional development, whatever it is. And he and I agree 100% on that one. So I think as the economy comes back, he'll be able to devote a little more of his time to discussions with me about what we need to do. And I think in the coming year, there are three or four big things that we're really going to be working on. Okay. And we, we have to cut you off. All right. Thanks a lot. We hope you'll come back. For uh, Sue Ellen Reed and Mary Catherine Carmichael, also our producer, Aliyah Mood, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.